Our scripture reading this morning, in preparation for our sermon, is from Romans chapter 1, the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Romans, the first chapter, and all the verses. Let us hear the word of God. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request if, by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles." I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, 
God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. May God bless the reading of his word. Dear congregation, in Romans chapter 1, In verse 1, the Apostle Paul, after stating his name, his relationship to Jesus Christ as a bondservant, like all true Christians are, and his authority being called to be an apostle, he then stated that he had been separated or set apart as both a servant and an apostle to the gospel of God. To the gospel of God. The gospel literally means, we know, the good news. And all that 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 implies, as we will see. And it is pointed out here that it is of God. The gospel, the good news of God. And that does not mean about God but from God. God the Father is the author, the source, the sender of it, and the provider of all it includes. And if you think about it, that is absolutely amazing. Mankind has fallen, sinned and rebelled against God, and still does. We do not deserve any good news, at all, but only endless revelations of his wrath here on earth, and worse, eternal forsakenness and punishment in hell. And yet God has given and still gives good news. He gives gospel to which nothing compares. And the good news that is referred to here and is commonly referred to 
by the term the gospel is what Paul has, in addition to giving some other introductory material, it is what he has gone on to describe here briefly in this first chapter, and that is our focus this morning. So our text then is really the entire chapter, but especially verses 1b, 3 and 4, and 16b through 18. I'll just go over that with you. At the end of verse 1, we have the phrase, the gospel of God. And then in verses 3 and 4, it says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And then verses 16b through 18 adds that it, the gospel of God and of Christ, or really concerning Christ, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We'll consider, with God's help, the theme, the gospel of God. The gospel of God, and we have three points. It is good news concerning his son, Jesus Christ. It is good news, which is his power to salvation. And it is good news revealing his righteousness by faith. So the gospel of God, good news concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Good news, which is his power to salvation. And good news revealing his righteousness by faith. First of all, the gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is something, as as verse 2 alludes, was promised many times before by God's prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the entire Old Testament. And this shows already that the gospel, the good news, indeed existed in the Old Testament by the many announcements of it, especially that the Messiah was to come and needed to come to accomplish what needed to be done for salvation, including for the Old Testament believers. The gospel of God concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was already known in part in the Old Testament. But now let's look just a bit at these names for a moment. Even though we may be very familiar with them, it is still edifying to consider them. As it says, the gospel of God is concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. His son, of course, refers to God's eternal and natural son, the second person of the Trinity. It is the gospel of God the Father, but it is concerning his son, his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And these other names, they, 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 they further beautifully describe the Son. 
The name Jesus, as we know, is literally Yahweh saves, or Jehovah, or the Lord saves. And, and this name was, was given to him at his incarnation and refers to his coming for the saving of his elect people. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said about Mary in Matthew 1, verse 21, that she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In the Catechism, looking at that for a minute, question 29 asks, Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, a Savior? Answer, because he saves us and delivers us from our sins. And likewise, because we ought not to seek, neither can find salvation in any other. And then we come to the name Christ. We know that that name means Messiah, or anointed one, the long-awaited prophet, priest, and king, who the anointed prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament pointed to, and who would instruct and deliver and lead his people to victory. And again, looking at the Catechism, it asks in question 31, why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? Answer, because he is ordained of God the Father, and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, and to be our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes, us conti- makes continual intercession with the Father for us, and also to be our eternal king, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who defends and preserves us in the enjoyment of that salvation he has purchased for us. And then we finally come to the name Lord, who Paul says regarding believers that he is our Lord, meaning that we are his willing subjects and servants. We are no longer the servants of Satan, but of the Son, who indeed is such a much better master. And again, the Catechism in question 34 asks, why do you call him our Lord? Answer, because he has redeemed us, both soul and body, from all our sins, not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, and has delivered us from all the power of the devil, and thus has made us his own property. But one more thing with this name is that it uh, it not only refers to our Lord, but the Lord as well, since he is Lord over all, including his enemies, being God himself and reigning at the Father's right hand, having all authority. And so Paul, full of thanksgiving for the glorious Son of God, called him here as he begins his whole epistle to the Romans He calls him here by his full title as he begins to expound the gospel concerning him. But in addition to that and and the truths implied in those very names, he added two more truths which, which actually come before the title in the Greek, but for some reason it switched around in, in the English. And these truths, they not only prove that he further prove that he is Jesus, the Messiah and Lord, but they also provide a beautiful brief summary 
of the good news as well. So let's just look at this for a moment. Verse 3b, it adds, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now his being God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, he could not be born. But though he was God, he became incarnate. He entered, as we know, into the world as the God-man. He took on human flesh, as prophesied already in Genesis 3. He took on a human nature with a human body and a human soul, though without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit, as Luke so clearly tells us. And when he was born according to the flesh, he was born, it says, of the seed of David, Mary being a distant descendant of David, as the genealogies proved. And this was all very significant. Being of David's seed was significant because this was the fulfillment of numerous prophecies in Scripture. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, Psalm 132, verse 11, Isaiah 11, verse 1, and many more. The Messiah was prophesied and promised to come from the lineage of David. From David would come one who would deliver his people and sit on his throne and reign forever. And his being born according to the flesh was significant, of course, because it was flesh, mankind, humanity, that was guilty before God. Man was guilty, and so man had to satisfy God's justice for sin. But of course, mere man could not do that because we are sinners, and man cannot withstand the wrath of God that our sins deserve. We needed one who was not only true man like us and righteous man unlike us, but also true God as he was, so that his divine nature could uphold his human nature in experiencing the wrath of God that our sins deserve. And this is very good news. This is gospel. The gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And the next verse adds, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, he was always the son of God. But here it says he was declared, or God declared him, meaning demonstrated to be the son of God with power by the resurrection, it says, from the dead. And so Paul, after mentioning his birth, he skipped over in his brief account of the gospel, he skipped over his obedience, his sufferings, his death, and he went right to his resurrection, implying everything that was in between. Now, his resurrection not only proved that the Father accepted his sacrifice, thanks be to God, but it also declared him to be what he already was, the Son of God. For one thing, only the sacrifice of the righteous Son of God could be sufficient and accepted as a sacrifice for sin. And so his resurrection was a witness that way of him. But also, 
throughout his ministry, Jesus made claims. Jesus claimed that he was the Son of God and that he would resurrect from the dead. His resurrection then powerfully vindicated him and proved that all his claims were true, including that he was indeed the Son of God. And more than that, it declared him to be the Son of God with power, since it clearly demonstrated him as having power, power over the grave, which he rose from, power over the enemy death, power over hell, power over sin, since death is its, was its wages, and power also over Satan. And that is what he remains, the Son of God with power. And then it says, according to the spirit of holiness, and there's um, not, people aren't sure exactly what that is referring to. It can refer to his divine nature or the Holy Spirit. His resurrection was also the beginning of his exaltation. As he soon after ascended and was crowned and seated at the Father's right hand, where he, would, where he reigns with all authority and where he exercised more of his great power by his spirit, saving sinners, justifying, sanctifying, and glorifying. Again, this is all very good news. It is good news because it is news that there is victory, there is hope, there is life in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And these two verses show then clearly that the gospel of God absolutely concerns his Son, Jesus Christ. But moving on, the second truth about the gospel of God in this chapter is that it is that which is his power to salvation. His power to salvation. Now it is quite a jump, I know, to go from verse 4 to verse 16. But that is because Paul proceeded to give some more greeting material before revealing more about the gospel. And this greeting material included things like the source and purpose of the grace and apostleship that he received, a salutation, a thanksgiving for answered prayers, a note that he had desired to visit them but was hindered. And then he shared that he was eager to preach the gospel because he was not ashamed of it. And in fact, that is actually a figure of speech to express a positive by a negative so he was not only not ashamed, verse 16, but he was actually very excited about the gospel of Christ, meaning about, or where it says up Christ, that means about or, or concerning Christ. He's very, he was very excited about that to preach it. And why? Well, he goes on and says, for or because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It is the power, the gospel of God is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Now salvation, of course, is very important and necessary for every single person. All mankind, by nature, apart from grace, are not right with God, are not in a right relationship with God. 
but are guilty, condemned, and enslaved sinners in Adam before our holy and just creator. Guilty with original sin, as well as many actual sins against his holy law. Condemned to an eternity of God's wrath as the just punishment for our sins. And enslaved to the power of the devil to serve him and not God by our own depraved hearts. And that is what every single person needs to be saved, delivered from. But the problem is that we cannot save ourselves. For instance, we cannot make up for our guilt by just trying to live a good enough life. Because whatever we call good enough will still include sin. And so instead of canceling out guilt, we will only add to our guilt. And because of that, we also cannot escape by ourselves the eternal penalty for our sins or having Satan as our master. But Paul here speaks of a power that can do that, a power to salvation. And it is nothing less than the power of God. And more precisely, he says that it is the gospel. He says the gospel is the power of God to salvation. The gospel concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Well, how so? How in the world can good news save? Well, I think of a I think a good example for this living in this province is that of a forest fire. Think of a forest fire that is coming closer to your home, but you do not realize it. You then receive the bad news of the danger, but also the good news of a way of escape, a way of evacuation, and so you escape and your life is spared. The good news saved you. Similarly, the good news concerning God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, can save sinners. It tells sinners who are yet in a state of guilt before God, who are slaves to sin and Satan, and who are heading towards a danger of eternal hellfire, that there is a way of escape from it all, that there is a way to become right with God and to have all our sins forgiven to get on a path of serving God in peace and with a new nature and to receive the promise of eternal life, joy, healing, perfection, and completion. And the good news says that that way is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. And all who would go to him and follow him by repentance and faith, all who would turn to him and put their trust in him, are saved, saved immediately, saved in the present, Saved from being under the wrath of God and from the wrath to come. 
and are powerfully transformed as new creatures in Christ Jesus. And one day we'll receive perfected salvation and glory. The good news is powerful to save. And the verse adds that it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel is so powerful that it saves everyone who believes it and who essentially believes on the Son. And this goes for us too. If we believe the gospel and truly put our trust in the Son, we are saved. Now many have not, are not, and will not be saved by the gospel. The gospel is offered to all, but it will not benefit all. To many, the gospel will only increase their guilt by their rejecting of it. But to all who believe, it is the power of God to salvation. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The good news saves all who believe. And then it says, emphasizes the term all, it says, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Jew and Gentile. And everyone falls into one of these two categories. The Jews receive the gospel first in the Old Testament, but it is also for the Greek or the Gentiles. Everyone and anyone from any tongue, tribe, or nation who believes on God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, not only will be, but is saved. The gospel of God concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, is truly a powerful message. It is the most powerful message in the world. In fact, it is so powerful that it not only saves all who believe, but it is what God even uses to work that faith in us in the first place by the Holy Spirit. Faith does not come from ourselves, we know. We are too powerless for that. Natural mankind is is too depraved for that and has a ruined free will that will never choose that. Faith is the gift of God by the power of God to the glory of God. And God works it by the calling to it by the gospel. And he is also calling to that any unsaved to hear the gospel today as well. And if that includes you, he is calling you then to believe the gospel, the good news, and to surrender, to turn to God, to put your trust in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That is the power of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are saved immediately, and you will be saved eternally. But now, also, why or how does the gospel save those who believe? Why or how is the gospel so powerful that way? 
Well, Paul explained what is really going on in the next verse, verse 17, which is our focus now in our third point about the gospel of God. That it is good news revealing his righteousness by faith. Verse 17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now this, of course, is one of the famous key verses of the great Protestant Reformation, being instrumental for Martin Luther's faith and understanding of the gospel. But what is it actually saying? Well, let's look at it closely. It says, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. We can say, the gospel of God concerning his Son reveals, it is a revelation of, the righteousness of God from faith to faith. What does this mean? Well, righteousness simply can mean rightness in the sense of a moral rightness. In other words, conformity to a standard. With respect to God, he alone has perfect righteousness. It is an attribute of his. God is righteous in his character, and therefore he does no moral wrong. He always does right, consistent with himself. And therefore, he is also always perfectly just as well. Further, because of his righteous character, he demands righteousness from mankind who is made in his image. Righteousness according to his standards revealed in the law of God. And because of his righteous character... He will reward the righteous and must punish the unrighteous. And that is why it has been said that if the gospel was actually only about God's character of righteousness, it would be the most terrifying news of all. Because no one is righteous in themselves. No one has kept his law. But the gospel, thankfully, is about more than his character. When verse 17 says that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, the term of God can be understood like how it was understood in verse 1, where it says the gospel of God. And there the gospel of God meant from God, and so the righteousness of God here can mean righteousness from God. It is the righteousness of God not describing his own character of righteousness, but his righteousness, righteousness that is from him. In fact, Romans 5, verse 17, in in Romans 5, verse 17, righteousness is referred to as a gift. It is God's gift of righteousness. And isn't this exactly what is revealed in the gospel? The gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ even though we might not understand it all right away. In his Son, and by his grace, God has provided righteousness. Being righteous in himself, 
Christ also lived righteously on the earth in obedience to his Father, being obedient in all points, even to the point of death, even the death of the cross by his blood as a substitute for his elect. And by that all he atoned for their unrighteousness and he earned righteousness for them. It is his righteousness. He obtained the righteousness, but it becomes ours, is imputed or transferred to us as a gift from God by faith. He takes our sins and guilt, and we receive his righteousness. When we believe the gospel and essentially believe on the Son, we are then immediately clothed with his righteousness. And when he clothes us with his righteousness, he immediately presents us to the Father. We are immediately declared legally righteous, are reconciled and accepted, and have salvation. And then immediately as well and forever, we have the status of being righteous before God and right with God. And with that positional righteousness, if you want to use that term, With that positional righteousness, we have God's favor and his spirit dwelling with us to sanctify us and increase practical righteousness, if you will, in us, increase holy living, and to prepare us more and more for eternal glory. The gospel of God reveals the gift of God of righteousness, justification in Christ, But there is more here. The gospel of God saves everyone who believes because or just as or since it, the gospel, reveals that the righteousness from God in Christ is from faith to faith. From faith to faith. What is meant by that? Well, the word from should probably say by. And it is good to remember that we are still talking about what is revealed in the gospel. So the gospel does not only reveal the gift of righteousness, but that it is a a righteousness from or by faith. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes because or since it reveals the righteousness of God by faith. It reveals that by believing in God's Son, Jesus Christ, we receive his righteousness by which we are saved. And further, this righteousness by faith then is then actually given to all that believe. And that is one way of understanding this this phrase and verse. In the gospel is revealed the righteousness of God by faith, to faith, or to all that believe. And a couple of other interpretations are that it simply means from faith first to last, or the faith of the Jew to the faith of the Gentile, paralleling the close of the verse prior, which says for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In any case, one thing is clear, and that, that is that this righteousness by which we are saved is entirely by faith, by faith. Not because of faith. It is only because of Christ. 
but we receive the righteousness from Christ by faith and faith alone. Not by works, not by faith plus works, but by faith and only faith, as it is written, as it was spoken of in the Old Testament, symbolically stated as such by the prophet Habakkuk, Regarding deliverance from Babylonian captivity in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, he said that the just or the righteous shall live by faith or by his faith. Or we can understand that as the righteous by faith shall live, have true life here, life forever hereafter, being right with God now and forever. And now the rest of the chapter really emphasizes the importance of this. Verse 18 says, For, another four, says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so, all who do not have this righteousness, which is by faith alone, are yet under the wrath of God. Apart from salvation, mankind by nature is under condemnation, under God's wrath, and justly remains so. And in different ways and times and places and degrees and to different people, God reveals this, his wrath from heaven, his wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of him that they do have in unrighteousness. And he reveals his righteousness not only in his word and in consciences and in providence, but also in the mind. And Paul shows here one example, a significant one, from what was happening in the Gentile world back then as it is very sadly happening today across our country and the world. Verse 24, look at it for a moment. Verse 24, it says, God gave them up. God gave them up to what? To uncleanness. Verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions. And verse 28, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And Paul shared this, these just judgments of God, to prove his point that all are under wrath who do not have this righteousness by faith. And in the next two chapters, he shows this in other ways as well. And this all emphasizes not only the need for the gospel of God to go forth unashamedly in the Gentile world back then and in our world today, but especially the need for all to obey the gospel and to come in repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for righteousness with God. Because there is no other way to be delivered from under, being under the wrath of God, from any revelations of the wrath of God, and especially from the wrath of God to come. And all who believe are saved. Because this gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ, is indeed the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Well, have you also 
have you also been delivered? Do you believe on the Son for righteousness? And, believer, will you go and share the gospel of God unashamedly? I'll close with the last words of Romans, which interestingly echoes the first words. It says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen and amen.